Hey, this is Rob Liefeld, and you're listening to uh, Matt, Ian, and Paul on the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. Welcome to episode 133 of the McSauce Comic Book Podcast. My name is Paul McGinty. With me, as always, are Ian Sharpley. Hello. And Matt Cassell. Hello. It is Tuesday night, December 29th. And tonight, we're going to wrap up 2015. We're going to talk about all the highs, all the lows, all the expectations that were destroyed, all the dismissiveness that was raised up. The whole gamut, 2015, we've broken it down to quarters. We've spent one hour and 48 minutes breaking 2015 down into what came out of which corner. And we're going to shine the McSauce spotlight on every fucking inch of it. But before we do that, we like to start with housekeeping. Last housekeeping of 2015 with Ian Sharpley. McSauce.com is not broken down into quarters. However, it is slashed into thirds. You can check out the podcast, which you're listening to right now. You can also check out the web comics as well as the comic book reviews. If you go to the Facebook page at facebook.com slash McSauce, you can be updated on all the goings on on McSauce.com. We also post links to exciting news in the comic book and pop culture world. Recently put up a picture of the new Doctor Strange, Benedict Cumberbatch, on the Facebook page. Doctor Blondebeard, right, Matt? (laughs) Yeah, right. Now, do you think he goes by Benny, like, amongst his friends? Or do you think Benedict, everybody calls him Benedict? Or just Ben? I feel like he goes by Benedict. Is it because he's British? It's very proper over there, right? I feel like he goes by Cumby. Cumby? The Batch? (laughs) Uh, <laughs> hey, Batch. Yeah, the that's bat. what I'm gonna start hey, calling him. Hey, the Batch. <laughs> uh, I'm probably Benny. Benny? Yeah. I think so. Benny, Benny. Jets. Mm-hmm. Well, if Benny wants to listen to this podcast, he can go to Podomatic, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, a whole host of different places. You know how like celebrities shorten their their names or well. We shorten their names for them. How about Benny Cum? No. I don't think that's going to work. We can try wouldn't doing it be, that. Though. Wouldn't it be Become, though? Okay. Like become. J-Lo or, or J-Lo. A-Rod. Become? Become. 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 Mm-hmm. That's pretty good. I kind of like it. Become. All Copyright right. McSauce <laughs> Podcast. 2015. And this is the last... <clears throat> The last gasp of 2015, it's been a long year full of all kinds of fun comic book and pop culture related stuff, and we're going to give our extensive year in review tonight. As we mentioned in the opening, we have segments, we broke it down into the quarters, so why don't we get started with quarter number one. Paul, what happened in quarter one this past year? The, Any standouts for you? The beginning of the year started How in quarter that? number one. We had January, February, and March. 
That's pretty cool. Uh, you know, does it happen like that every year, or is this new? No, this is a this is an ongoing thing. Yeah. Now, for those of you longtime listeners that have been with us for well a long time, we did a a 2015 preview. Actually, no, uh, we did it. We did a 2014 preview at the end of 2013, where we talked about you know what what we could look forward to in 2014. And I remember I was very dismissive of 2014 because I just couldn't wait to get to 2015 because I believe at the time it was before Batman v Superman got pushed back, so we knew we were getting that. We had uh, Avengers 2 on the horizon and then Star Wars. So like I have been looking forward to 2015 for a long time. It has now come and gone. Now it's time to reflect. Quarter one, Paul, how did it start? Oh, fucking no, how did it start? What was in quarter one? Oh. You you mentioned Star Wars, Matt. We had our first little taste, a little little taste just to get us going. Star Wars comic books from Marvel were mm. released in the first quarter. We had initially we had Star Wars that followed up after directly after A New Hope. We had Princess Leia, we also had Darth Vader, which were the initial offerings. Yeah, no, that was uh, that was Marvel's first foray into Star Wars comics since probably what the mid '80s or something like that, um, b- before they lost the license to Dark Horse Comics, who was kind of the steward of that brand for fifteen, twenty years, something like that, since the early '90s. Whenever I Dark thought of Wars, or uh, not Dark Forces, uh, Dark Empire. Whenever I thought of Star Wars comics for a long time, it was. Dark Horse, the like you said, the Dark Empire stuff, um, anything new that came out, that was kind of Dark Horse's main brand that they had, along with like Aliens and Predator and right. other kind of stuff that I didn't really like all that much. But the Star Wars stuff, I always enjoyed. Uh, re- you know, more recently, it, we had the Brian Wood Star Wars books mm-hmm. that I think that we all kind of enjoyed. <clears throat> so going into well, those started out strong. And then they went in the toilet. You, well, overall, do you, did you enjoy that they existed? And you, did you like reading them? Half of them. Do you think that overall, I the would announce- say no because no after the initial arc, then it just got it got goofy. It got away. It, I think it got further away from what Star Wars is than even what these current Marvel books are doing. I was going to say, were we a little apprehensive whenever Marvel got its hands on Star Wars? I don't remember what we said last year. or I remember whenever. I was excited for it. I was really excited because I thought Marvel could bring some new energy to it. Although, it, it was almost coming at, a, at the wrong time because it seemed like Dark Horse had, had kind of recommitted itself to adding that energy to the Star Wars comics by focusing for the first time in a long time on the classic characters. Um, Plus they gave us one of the coolest series ever, which was The Star Wars, which was kind of like all based on the the original first draft of Star Wars, and that was amazing to see that. I don't see Marvel taking uh, any kind of real chances with, um, with Star Wars the way that Dark Horse did with The Star Wars. And, um... It seemed like they were kind of onto something right before they had the, the plug pulled on them. With the Star Wars? Yeah. Because the regular books weren't onto anything before the plug was pulled. Well, the plug probably should have been pulled on those books six issues before it did. I thought I the announcement. Brand in general. I thought the announcement that 
Star Wars was going to go back over to Marvel happened before Brian Wood's Star Wars started tanking. It, it was announced before that. Um, I'm not sure that uh, he got to wrap things up the way that he probably intended to because I think the comics ended somewhere in the middle of 2014, kind of went on hiatus until the very first month this year when um, when Marvel just opened the floodgates and now it's just all Star Wars all the time. Uh, how many series are there now, Ian? There's there's Lando, uh, Kanan, Chewbacca, C-3PO, Darth Vader, Princess well, Leia, <clears throat> the regular Star Wars There have been a bunch. A lot of those are six-issue runs, little minis. Uh, there's only really three ongoing books. It's Star Wars, Darth Vader, and um, what's the other one? The other ongoing? Is Princess Isn't Leia is still an ongoing, no, or do they cancel Kanan. that? Leia was only six. Lando was six. Chewbacca's going to be six. 3PO is going to be a one-shot. So there's only three books, and one of those is Kanan, so that isn't even the same universe that all these other post-A New Hope books are tying into. The one thing that I was excited about with the Star Wars books was that there were, Marvel was going to have its full stable of creative talents to throw at it. We got exactly. Jason Aaron writing the initial Star Wars. We had John Casty on that book as well. <clears throat> is it Salvador Loca? Was is that Salvador Loca was on Darth Vader? Still on. Well, him and Kieran Gillen are both still on Darth Vader. And Kieran Gillen, I've always re- liked Kieran Gillen's work on X Men. So the fact that they had the industry, some of the industry's top talent available and willing to do these books, was something that I don't think that Dark Horse could offer to us. Now, looking back on it, I think we got it's sort of a mixed bag. The stuff from John Cassidy didn't really live up to my expectations. Even Jason Aaron's story uh, in his first couple arcs, those weren't really all that good either. They I, felt I was very, a little they disappointed. They felt de- derivative of the movies, and they kind of undermined the movies to a large degree. Like, it was trying to one-up them, like... No, no, no. You guys thought that when Luke fought Vader on Cloud City, that was the first time they came to face-to-face? Nah. That's not right. Oh, you they thought f- that Boba Fett, the first time that we're going to see Boba Fett is on uh, the Star Destroyer in, uh, in Empire? No, he kind of like clumsily got beaten by a blind Luke Skywalker on Tatooine. Pre-trained Luke Skywalker. But as The Force Awakens has taught us... You don't really need training to be awesome uh, in the Jedi arts. You just kind of are that way. Apparently. It's called a zinger, folks. <laughs> so, <laughs> you I, know what? That's you, We saw it there in the comics. We shouldn't be so mad because Luke clearly did it. He goofed his well, way to beating well, up a classic villain. So. That's actually a really important point to make with uh, these new Star Wars comics because these are canonical. I believe that's a word. Look it up. Which means... These are actually influencing the real events that could happen in future Star Wars films. Like these are just as valid as no, they're not. as anything, according to Lucasfilm. Right. The three of us sitting at this table call bullshit on that. Um, I because, bet I bet ninety eight percent of Star Wars fans call right. bullshit like on that. Uh, you know, as as much as Disney insists that it's all equally relevant, 
sorry, they had it figured out already. You had the movies, and then there was everything else. That's just the way it is. And then there was fun stuff to just keep you busy. What if this happened? You know, right. Star Wars Elseworlds. I right. kind of think Those that... Those were Star Wars Infinities by Dark Horse Comics. Yeah, what if, uh, you know, what if Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker met on some weird TIE fighter factory after a new hope? Well, <laughs> hey, what if Darth Vader had a weird C-3PO-esque murder droid? Wouldn't that be wacky? Elseworlds. And they are fun. Like, I've been enjoying these books, but I enjoy them because they're just entertaining. I don't look at these books... And be like, oh, oh my god, this, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe, you know, this is going to lead into a new hope. Oh, I'm like, well, this is, this is bananas. Yeah, and that's fine. I enjoy them like that, too. I think all of us being brought up with comic books and kind of picking and choosing what you feel your characters actually did, what really mattered to them, helps us out in this case. Because there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes down in these books that I've deleted is, out of the actual it is about canon. It is about picking and choosing, but it's not, it's, it's not just about that for the reader, picking and choosing what matters and what doesn't. It should be about the publishers picking and choosing what stories they should be and should not be telling. Um, yeah... I know you you need to make money. You got to use Han, Luke, and Leia, but you shouldn't be telling those stories. You can tell the Lando story because the Charles Soule, Alex Maleev, Lando six issue run, amazing, incredible. Had a little bit of everything from every bit of the Star Wars universe all tied into one. It was heartfelt. It was fucking heavy. It wasn't just silly nonsense fun like. Triple Zero, the murder C-3PO. Uh, that Lando book was really good. But in the end, the stories that you tell in Lando don't change anything in the films. Right. The, and those know, are we're the not giving... It's not like when they gave Han Solo a wife, which right. is nonsense. And those are the stories they should be telling. But right. Those aren't the stories that bring in the big bucks. So we need to tell Luke, Han, and Leia stories. But you don't. It's fine if they do nothing... But search boringly for a new rebel base for a year or so between movies. That's fine. You gotta get the right rebel base, dude. All right. It takes it. You can't just jump on the first one you see. I think we're gonna look around. Make, we'll email you on this base. You gotta make sure. It's too small. You gotta make sure Hoth has enough counter space. <laughs> you gotta make sure it has the proper outlet layout in the living room. You can't just jump into the first, I don't the know. first rebel base you see. The feng shui is all weird in that play in that planet. <laughs> so you know, so looking at the at the whole slate of Marvel books that have been released, Matt, I think you flamed out pretty quick. I think you read maybe maybe a couple of each. Uh, I think I got seven or eight into Star Wars, um, four or five into Darth Vader. Didn't finish Princess Leia because that was just bad from the jump. Princess uh, Leia was was rough. I Princess think I def- I think I defended it uh, from the outset when it was still going on, expecting um, the the high talent of Mark Wade and the the, the Dodsons to really pull it together. That and they be, just they just never did. That might be one of the worst Dodson uh, art art books I've ever seen. It was surprisingly <clears throat> bad. I looked at that at the same time, Red Rocket, yep. an image yep. title that the Dodsons were on, 
was also out. You could clearly see that they mailed in their work for well, Star Wars, which is shocking. I don't know why that. Yeah, right. Why you, know, you would Star do Star Wars? You just you make every panel a masterpiece. And it, I mean, it was that was the most disappointing part well, about it was that I expected this high quality art. The same thing happened for me with Star Wars. The John Cassidy stuff after mm-hmm. maybe an issue or two started to get a little wonky and I thought they had the perfect artist to capture likenesses and action and he wasn't that guy. Yeah, an absolute must for me when you're drawing a book based on a movie property is they better look like the fucking characters. If that's the case, then Paul Greg Land should draw every one of those and books this, for you. And this extends past Star Wars. <laughs> like, if you're drawing a Ghostbusters book they better look like Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. So what do you think of Dan Schoening on uh, the IDW Ghostbusters book? Do you not like his cartoony well, doesn't, representations? He, his stuff looks more like the Ghostbusters cartoon, right? The real Ghostbusters. Did you have a problem with that? Did eight-year-old Paul bitch and moan? Before, well, While you were still talking, while I was developing this... I thought about that. I was, and that's really the only thing that gets a pass because it was so different from the movie. And it was, it's like they they made that as a rebuttal to Ghostbusters, who that shitty Ghostbusters cartoon, who who used the loophole of and copyright the name. Now we're Ghostbusters, but like that cartoon worked so well, and the toy line worked so well. Like everything, just everything about that worked. Well, you got to have I a agree. brunette, a redhead, and a blonde. Well, blonde Egon? Yeah, boy. <laughs> it was more like like a bleached blonde. It was almost like his yeah. hair was scared white. Right. But, like, do you do you want to see... Well, do you wanna he saw read, shit that would turn his hair white. Do you want to read the Terminator comic where the Terminator doesn't look like Arnold Schwarzenegger? It's It doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And that was the problem with the Dodson's book, is that nobody looked like... Who they were supposed to look like. Right. And I know Dodson's, yeah, you got your own style. You're sort of comic royalty. It, it looked like... you gotta you got to work with us It here. wasn't even the likenesses. It was just the, it, just it, the craft of drawing and inking a comic book. It was the problem shitty. was, it barely even resembled a Dodson book. It was just... Like, because it could almost get a pass if, if they showed up and they were on top of their game for this. But they weren't. But anyway, uh, you guys, so are, are you kind of pleased with the way... It's been a year. Are you happy with where Marvel Comics are or not? Um, I just talked to Jeff, the guy that owns Comic Marvel, Marvel Comics? I'm sorry, the Marvel. Greater Marvel or Star Wars? Star Wars Marvel. Because I was just talking to the guy that owns uh, the comic book store that I go to. And I said, you know, i got to trim my list drastically. But one of the biggest cuts that's going to happen on my list is every single... Star Wars title is going. That's the way I feel about Star Wars comics. I think they're crap. I think they're crap. And 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 I regret that Dark Horse does not still own that license because at least they took chances and I feel like the stories they were telling were more concise. Like for example, they would have uh, mini series like there would be one about Boba Fett, there would be one about Count Dooku or whatever and and it just felt like there was a, a, a clear idea of what they wanted to tell whereas now they just they think okay who's a classic character okay Chewbacca we'll come up with something for Chewbacca or whatever the Chewbacca tale is one of the 
it's one of my least favorite offerings that Marvel Star Wars has had. Overall, if I had to, if I had to say, I, I flamed out on every single one of these books. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been hit and miss to the degree where I've at one point lost interest or straight up did not like it. Right. So I've I've essentially stopped reading all of them. I think the one that I might get back on is Darth Vader because I consistently enjoyed that story and I enjoyed the writing. Yeah. I like Kieran Gillen. The artwork, I like the art. The artwork has been grade A from the very beginning on that book. Like, First of all, who's the artist you know on why? that? You uh, know why? Because Salvador La Roca can draw Darth Vader and he doesn't have to draw anyone else. Can, could he draw the other characters? The answer is no. Because he drew the latest... The latest issue of yeah. Darth Vader, which is part of the Vader Down crossover, mm-hmm. and he cannot. Everything looks like, yeah. If if I was forced, I could pick out Harrison Ford and Mark Hamill, sorta. Mm-hmm. But continuing in the long tradition of Star Wars artists, no one can draw Carrie Fisher. No one, no one can draw a good likeness of Carrie Fisher. Stuart so Eminem. On regular Star Wars, doesn't have a good Carrie Fisher. Paul has um, uh, enjoyed that artist. I, I think I, I he's do. a. I think he's a. He he probably has. He is the best of. He's the best of the bunch. Like I fucking love this guy. He has his own style, and he gets it as close as you can. I think that um, uh, J. Scott Campbell is probably the best at doing that, where he has his own distinctive style that you can right. tell that that's the artist. It doesn't look like he traced over a picture, but it looks like the it looks like the the actor that he's referencing. Yeah, LaRocca does a uh, you know or not not LaRocca, uh Stuart Eminem does a great job with, with the likenesses, but Leia is even for him, I think I mean maybe is, is, the it, is it tough to draw Carrie Fisher and make her pretty? I mean she <laughs> is pretty, but she has distinct fi- features. See I think she that's has, the problem. I don't think she does have distinct features. She has a pretty distinct nose Carrie Fisher and kind of chubby cheeks and sometimes when you draw that it's not flattering and maybe that's why people duck that and just go for standard female you know pull you know Jim Lee female number one you know Ian I kind of half agree with you on the J. Scott Campbell thing because he does have a very distinct style but I'm glad I you half agree with me thank you you're welcome I, because I mean there are many artists out there that have quite as distinct an art style as J. Scott Campbell. Yeah, I guess you can draw like other other like actors and make them kind of look the way they're supposed to, but really they just kind of look like J. Scott Campbell drawings. Like maybe he can get away with drawing a Sean Connery because uh, I think he drew that in um, Danger Girl. He had a Sean Connery looking medicine man, white haired ponytail character. Um, but but generally, I think they just kind of all look like variations of a J. Scott Campbell person. I disagree. I think he. I mean, we're talking Star Wars. I think that that looks like Harrison Ford, and it also is clearly a J. Scott I th- Campbell. I think that's a good example that you just pulled yeah, up there, for the listeners. There are times when uh, we'll post it on the Facebook page, you. Facebook slash. There, there are times when he nails it, but there are also times where he does. He did a Back to the Future cover with Marty McFly. Yeah, but that's not J. Scott Campbell's style. That looks more 
uh, I'm Bruce just, Strews in that I'm Jay just, Scott I'm not pulling specific things. I'm going through J. Well, Scott Campbell, Han Solo. That's all I'm I doing. I think sometimes he nails it. Other times he, he, he doesn't. Did anything else happen in the first quarter of 2015? Yeah, we should probably, we should probably move on. So, uh, just to recap, Star Wars left me kind of wanting more to the point where I'm just, I'm done. Uh, what didn't leave me wanting more, except more good stuff, more of the same would be uh, Valiant Comics, The Valiant. It was it was a four issue series that was all um, was like the full company crossover, and basically what Valiant did was restore my faith in the idea that you can have an entire company crossover and tell an effective, meaningful, and strong story uh, that that affects like. A multitude of characters, um, but it still manages to kind of like focus on one or two select characters, so that way, like the story doesn't kind of go everywhere. Like it's still kind of a finely honed um, story that that kind of doesn't like lose itself in itself the way another first quarter series like Secret Wars did. Um, you know, you have like you have like two sides of the same coin. You've got the Valiant on one side, four issues, one of, if not the best crossover I've ever read, and then you have Secret Wars, which was eight issues, which is now nine Nine issues. They changed it halfway through. I wish it was just those nine. <clears throat> Secret Wars encompasses all a bunch of different books as well right. you have spin-offs like um a force which takes place in that same world a whole host of different books but you don't interconnect you don't that. need any of that stuff to read secret wars true but it is sort of the problem that we have it 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 highlights the problem that we have with these major crossovers which valiant could have easily done which they chose not to and they had their crossover completely contained no cash grab, and I think that we all really appreciated it, and it helped the story have focus. It was so good. It like everything from the artwork to the concise storytelling. Um, it, it solidified for me why Jeff Lemire is one of my absolute favorite uh, writers because I felt like he just he he nailed the the character moments in that like by taking Bloodshot, a character that kind of on paper is not all that interesting. He's kind of like the Punisher in a way, who, as much as we love the Punisher here on the McSauce Comic Book Podcast, he's, he is a one-dimensional character that I think, unless you're a really skilled writer, um, he kind of comes off that way. So, Jeff Lemire was able to take Bloodshot and not only make him interesting, but he made him the main character of the Valiant uh Series four issue series and and not only that but he spun them out into a an ongoing that happened later this year which we can talk about later but he also brought like his signature horror elements to the storyline which I don't know man like there was some legit creepy stuff in here that rivaled the weird creepy stuff that he did in Animal Man I thought um, the seriously the valiant was a masterpiece and it was so refreshing to read something so solid <clears throat> it really was and compared to 
compared to Secret Wars, I feel like I'm really enjoying Secret Wars. It's been dragged out. <clears throat> a couple issues have been late, but I still really like it. I like it a lot more than I thought I would. But I also feel that I like it because I understand who these characters are. I know who Doctor Doom is. I know his relationship with Reed Richards. Um, I know Mr. Sinister. I know all of the characters, at least tangentially. I know who they are, what their overall deal is in, in the Marvel Universe, not being a hardcore Marvel zombie. And I think that informs how much I like Secret Wars. But with Valiant, I didn't know any of those dudes. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you, I had the idea that Bloodshot's, you know, Valiant's uh, Punisher. And that was it. I didn't know anybody else. And going into that book, uh, the art was fantastic. Lamar's writing was fantastic. It was so tight. It was so well put together. It was a great, great fucking book. The big achievement for me is um, it, it won me over to a bunch of characters that I was familiar with in the 90s. I wasn't a Valiant fan. I sadly took the sports mentality that I really dislike now um, with my comic books back in the early 90s. I was an image guy. I was an image Marvel dude. And, and fuck Valiant. <clears throat> fuck DC. Those characters are stupid. I only had uh, I think Deathmate was the crossover with Image. Right. It was my only point where I <laughs> was... Deathmate. Well, it was the only so point... So 90s. Deathmate. Yeah. Oh, d- dude, Paul, you don't know deal. what... It was the most 90s-ish <clears throat> of 90s things. I don't remember what happened. In- oh, I have no idea. I remember that the covers were <clears throat> foil-stamped. And they were different colors. You had the black cover, the red cover, blue the blue and cover. Blue I think. And I, I remember that the image stuff was late, and that's about it. So my my knowledge of Valiant characters were that they were the anti-image. Uh, I was they they're boring, and I'm sure they talked a lot, and there was no action or sex or blood. Man, the Valiant won me over with really great storytelling. I, I fell in love with Ninjak. That yeah. character was really goddamn. I started cool. reading awesome. Ninjak's own book after that. The Eternal Warrior and that whole oh, idea that of uh, his his failings and his his eternal struggle against uh, the main villain who. Which was the coolest part of the book? What the was villain? his name, Mister? Mister Pickles. Mister Skin. Uh, Skin exposes the monster underneath. <laughs> What's that guy's name? What was Mr. his name? Mister Whisper. Mister Wisp. Uh, it'll come to me. This is really shitty of us, but that was probably the best and creepiest Flay. thing. Mr. Flay. Mr. Flay, Flay because his skin... so fucking creepy. His, he, he appears as like a butler to the main character, but his skin falls away, and he's he's like whatever horrible thing that you can imagine. And that's always what's the scariest thing is what's in your mind. Yeah. So great use by uh, Lemire of uh, you know really capturing what scares... <laughs> readers well we should up. we should also give credit to matt kent he was the uh the co-author kint? or is it kite it, it's kent, kint because kint. i asked him that when i met him how do you Baltimore. say your name fool he said kite that's not exactly what he said but i woke up last night to a knock on my screen door 
in the middle of the night. And it was Mr. Flay. No, it was just in my brain. Like, it was at the end of some super crazy dream I was having. But I heard, like, a knock on an aluminum door. Mm-hmm. And this happens all the time where I think I hear some real noise, but it isn't. It was just my brain doing it. And I was, But, like, I was up for, like, an hour after that. Like, I'm wide awake now. I don't know if someone's really out there. I don't know if that was just my brain. It could be Mr. Flay. And I'd like to note that a little behind the scenes here, before we started recording, we were like, oh, fuck. We, we hate comic any, books. We hate comic books. We don't have any comic book stuff to talk about. What are we going to talk about comic-wise? Do we have anything? We've been going on a half hour here. Nothing but comics. We're not even out of quarter one. That's true. So maybe we should move along. Well, yeah, so we briefly touched on Secret Wars, like we said. That's kind of... You, you have the way to do a cross, an, intercom, an intercompany crossover, which is the Valiant. And then you have the way not to do it, which is Marvel's Secret Wars. Like, if you want your crossover to last over a year maybe that's the way you want to do it but I, you know I think people flame out like that's an ongoing book at that point Secret Wars execution <clears throat> gets an F the story I think gets a B for me I, mm-hmm. I've, I've liked the story however I flamed out because of the lateness yeah. because yeah, no, they that, added that, on stuff I mean that, really those are the volumes it was boom um, boom boom story's done art's done here's your book on schedule, we're all good. And we can also touch on Convergence since that was the of of the um, big companies. Right. Convergence DC's Convergence was the other one that was right. out there. Convergence was the opposite of Secret Wars. Secret Wars is good on the page, bad behind the scenes. Convergence was great behind the scenes, horrible on the page. Now, what, what was Convergence? A little bit garbage. A little bit about what happened because I don't really know because so, I didn't really read Convergence it. Convergence was DC's intercompany crossover completing the intercompany trifecta of crossovers this year that we got. Paul, you're the DC guy. Convergence was DC's attempt at taking stock of what they had going on in their books and saying, you know what, we can make some changes. You know, A lot of people don't like the new 52. They want some old stuff. So we're going to contrive a way to bring all of the old stuff back with all of the new stuff and we're going to put it in this convergence book and at the end boom it's a multiverse all your stories exist everyone's happy but it was it fucking sucked it so, sucked like, so bad so everyone like wasn't happy the, the story Star Trek movie the story was so it was so fucking bad it didn't star any characters that you wanted it to star the whole the whole thing was in awful. comparison to good. secret wars which they give you a really cool Doctor Doom. They give you a great Doctor Strange they for a give while. You two good Reed Richards. So, at least Marvel did that right. DC was just like, yeah. eh. Yeah, DC's really felt like, eh, yeah, just just do this. Mm-hmm. They'll 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 be fine. Whatever, just do this. But convergence was bad. Um, DC's pretty much awful at this point. I don't know what's going on over there. I've, you know, I haven't really been buying any DC we can books. we can save most of the discussion for n- next week when we do our 2016 preview but um they're in they're in a bad way right now because like i feel like the general fan consensus is that dc books are kind of a mess when even the most hardcore of dc loyalists like myself 
don't want to buy any other books, we're right. in trouble. Like, what are they gonna have to just straight up undo the new Fifty Two? Is that what is? Isn't happening? that what Convergence kind of is? Where they're I don't taking think, bits and pieces. No, they kind of left it, everything status quo. Oh, really? By yeah. but injecting some some old stuff into it. Not not easy. I mean, it's it's so bizarre. Like it it feels like every book is its own thing. Because you, there's the status quo where Bruce Wayne's dead, Jim Gordon's in a big robot Batman suit. Mm-hmm. Um, Superman, stupid as Superman, fun. just is what a, everyone wanted, right. right? Superman's at quarter power. He's in a t-shirt and shaved his head. But in Jeff Johns' Justice League book, it's the New Fifty Two team going on as if the New Fifty Two just kept going. That seems awfully confusing. And then there's there there are books like Prez and I think Bizarro, which have nothing to do with anything in the DCU. Mm-hmm. But I think that you can, but there's still references to like Wayne Enterprises and Prez. I think that you can get away with having some one or two books that stand alone in a line, but when every book is its own pocket universe with its own rules. You can't. That's the opposite of a shared universe. You can't have that. So this is. It seems like it's just a case of trying to make everybody happy and making no one happy. Yeah, and, and yeah, we can. We can. We can get into where DC is going next week, but they're long and short. They're a fucking disaster right now. Okay. So do we want to jump to the second quarter? Well, there's a couple little things that that I think I, are noteworthy. Three-hour podcast. Well, then you better talk fast, but uh, we did get the Batman v Superman trailer, speaking of DC. We got that in quarter one, a f- like a four-minute trailer, which was the first time we saw Ben Affleck as Batman like in action. We um, liked it. It was pretty good. What's next? We also got the news that Spider-Man is coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which is kind of a big deal because they're going to, you know, they, they <clears throat> ceased production on... Uh, Mark Webb's Sony Classic Pictures whatever version of Spider-Man not Sony Classic Pictures just Sony Pictures Spider-Man and uh, which some of you guys liked right like you really liked Andrew you thought Andrew Garfield was the ideal Peter Parker we liked the first one I think that we thoroughly trashed the second one Andrew Garfield isn't the reason why they're sending Spider-Man's rights over to Marvel I don't think Andrew Garfield was the problem with that franchise he wasn't a great Peter Parker. He wasn't. He wasn't Peter Parker. He was Ferris Bueller. Well, he wasn't <laughs> the Peter Parker. Well, Peter. you guys wanted. But I was fine with his Peter Parker. I I enjoyed Andrew Garfield's performance. He wasn't the problem. There were a whole host of other problems with those movies. But he, he was wasn't actually. It. He yeah, was. I agree. In Spider Man, The Amazing Spider Man Two, that was the best. Spider-Man we've ever gotten cinematically ever, right? By and far. he, and his dialogue, his interaction, his humor had a lot to do with that being a good Spider-Man. Yeah, I mean, hit he, he as Spider-Man saved that movie. I mean, you guys maybe think it wasn't saved, but I actually thought it was a decent movie because he was that good. Well, here's the thing: uh, there are a lot of there are a lot of good things about that movie. The, that was a movie of valleys and and mountains of triumph and complete failure. The villains in that movie, dog shit. 
The romance and, and humor in that movie, really, really good. Right. All the Gwen Stacy, Peter Parker stuff, I thought was, was gold. I love that stuff. I wouldn't change it at all. Mm-hmm. But you can't throw, A, too many villains. You can't have an Electro that it's, just was a caricature. It is of, uncanny how these companies haven't learned by now that you cannot put too many villains in these movies because when you do it's a recipe for disaster it has never worked it always works better with one villain maybe two if you're lucky yeah i guess the the thought is bigger bigger better whatever but on the back of the sony hacking scandal that happened in december 2014 some of the information where sony and marvel were having contact and having talks about getting the rights shifted over to Marvel. It's something that I think a lot of fans after Amazing Spider-Man 2, a lot of fans wanted to see Spider-Man back in the quote-unquote rightful hands of Marvel Studios where they have faith that they'll be able to do what what we all want to see, a really great Spider-Man, and mix him into the Marvel Universe that everybody loves. And we're, we're, we got the news in um, quarter one that that's going to happen. Um, we're going to get, I guess coming up, we're going to get in Civil War we're some kind of um, cameo of Spider-Man. Um, how much do you think we'll see? Uh, before I saw this, the Captain America trailer, I thought a lot. Yeah. But now that I've seen the trailer, it seems like I don't know where you fit him in. Especially given his role in the comic book series, it was so... Um, like pivotal to mm-hmm. the overall story, he was he was such like a fulcrum for kind of progressing the the idea of the two sides, and you know he took such a stand. But you can only do that if he's established, and he's not established yet. So I don't know how he's going to work into it. I'm starting to feel like it's going to be nothing more than a glorified cameo. Tom Holland, yeah, in in uh, Civil War, but we will see. Uh, that's that might be a little bit more of a conversation for the 2016 preview. So, Paul, moving on to quarter two. There, this seems to be like our busiest of quarters. Uh, we already talked about it, but we had uh, DC's Convergence actually started in quarter two. Um, but another comic book series, so quote unquote, series that started in quarter two was the the all new, all different Marvel Now. Worst title ever for like a new imprint or whatever you want to call it. But I believe that started in quarter two. It started on free comic book day because um, I believe that's when they launched the um, the all new, all different Avengers, which may or may not have been all new and all different, but it was all boring, just like all of Marvel's all new, all different line. Um, I was pretty much turned off about because Marvel announced these are all our books and they like showed uh, you know covers or maybe like not even covers but they listed who all the creators were going to be on the books and then they even showed you like who the teams were they would show you uh, you know these are the Avengers these are the X-Men they didn't even look like the Avengers or X-Men or here's the Fantastic Four I think the Fantastic Four was comprised completely of characters that aren't even on the Fantastic Four. It's, um... It's a... Marvel put names in a hat. Yeah. But that's what Marvel... That's what Marvel does. That's how they decide. 
the titles. Yeah. That's how they decide we the teams a, that work on books. That's, no, that's they throw how darts. That's how they've done it for maybe the last two years. More than that, Paul. Yeah? Much more. They've been doing the the Uncanny Avengers. They've been pulling that shit for 20 years. But I'm I'm not a Marvel guy. I can't give you the detailed history of what's gone on when. But I've always felt from a semi-outside standpoint that Marvel starts with the with a team that you're used to seeing like Marvel's going to relaunch Fantastic Four for example it's going to be Reed, Sue, Ben and Johnny then maybe after the first arc something happens to Johnny they bring in She-Hulk and then something happens to Ben and they bring in Metamorpho I know that's a DC character but then I feel like everything starts to spiral out of control once they get the original arc out of the way But for all new, all different Marvel, I feel like they were just like, fuck it. All bets are off. Nothing needs to stay the same. Whatever you pull out of the hat, that's where you're going to get. Right. Like, this felt crazier than anything I've ever been used to before. Yeah, it it didn't feel accessible in any way to me because there was zero familiarity about any of it. And it just... Like, they, they keep trying to come up with new jumping-on points, but by renumbering their shit, oh, it's number one again, you know, for the second time this year. But at the same time, it doesn't feel like a real jumping-on point. Um, it It's... Paul, you said DC is a mess. It, to me, there isn't a bigger disaster. There isn't a bigger travesty in the history of comics than what Marvel has become. Yeah, and I, I guess it seems more like... I guess Marvel doesn't seem like such a disaster because the film arm of Marvel is running so well and so it's the well-oiled machine and everything's going the way it's supposed to be going. But but like I feel like even books like Ms. Marvel and Squirrel Girl, they're doing... They're doing well. Like, I hear positive things about... Four, even the, Jeff Lemire's Hawkeye reboot is... It doesn't matter who they're for. I see buzz about it. They're doing well. They seem to be doing well. It matters. But, where, but DC's books, you hear nothing about anything. Unless it's, why the fuck is Jim Gordon in a robot rabbit suit? I mean, I I guess so. I don't know who is buying any of these books. I don't know who's enjoying them. I see that they are topping the charts. On, on Diamond, and, and I guess people are buying them. But it feels like the longtime comic book buyers of both companies have been alienated to the point of not caring, of well, not buying, of not showing right. up. So let's, it, let's acknowledge this, too, Ian. Like, we, as comic book buyers, we buy shit out of habit. We buy it sometimes based just on who the character is or what the title is or maybe even who the creator is. We don't necessarily always buy it because we love it. We just do it because, well, that's what we do. That's that, like, kind of completists, collectors mentality. Not that the three of us are collectors per se. I mean, we kind of are because we keep our comics. I never looked at myself as a collector. I'm always a a fan. Right, I understand that. But technically speaking, we are collectors. And, And it's almost like this weird 
sickness. It's it's like a OCD thing that we all have to a degree that all collectors kind of have it, where you just continue to buy it and, and like until you're like, what am I? I'm going through the motions. I'm still buying it and I don't like it. And a little of it is faith based too, because yeah. yes, this character and and this franchise has done me well in the past and maybe it's had some dips in quality but it's always sprung back and entertained me so I'm going to stick it out I'm going to hang in there I'm going to be loyal and, even, and I'll be rewarded and that doesn't always happen and even my excuse for fall, following through with the entire Princess Leia run Mark Wade is a proven commodity the Terry and Rachel Dodson are proven commodities so when you guys bailed halfway through like I stuck it out to the end, knowing that that talent, what they've done in the past, they're going to deliver on this. We've had a rough start. They're going to deliver. But they never did. Yeah, I mean, that just shows you that even some of the greatest creators aren't infallible. I mean, everybody can kind of produce a turd every once in a while. Um, you know, even Steven Spielberg made... Joe versus the volcano. You know what I mean? So it you didn't like Joe versus the volcano. Uh, my eleven-year-old self was relatively entertained, but I haven't seen it in a long time. But mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's probably not that great. The first time I saw it was when I'd say early twenties, and I really wanted <clears throat> to like it based on my love of bachelor party and big and bosom buddies, and I was like, oh, this really this is kind of rough." <laughs> Joe versus the Volcano is not one of Tom Hanks' gold stars. So I shouldn't go back and check out Joe versus the Volcano. I've never seen it before. So. No, I, th- I think you should. I think it's 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 something you should see. Well, I think it's a must-watch. You know what you guys did see in quarter two was actually the Daredevil TV show. Netflix original premiered. Uh, they released the entire se- uh, the entire season all on the same day, so that way you guys could binge on I it. I hate that so bad. I hate I hate the entire season dump of a series you know i i, I prefer that myself just because i don't like watching shit on somebody else's schedule like that's why like for example game of thrones i wait for the whole season to finish up before i start watching it and i devour it in like one or two days see i don't have the time to sit down and dedicate you know seven hours over two days to watch a series mm-hmm. so I don't but you want... don't have to do that You, the, like right. Matt said you can watch it on your own right. schedule it, it all gets dumped you watch it on your own schedule but while you're watching it on your own schedule you're you know avoiding spoiler landmines throughout the rest of your life yeah. because no one else can fucking keep their fucking yap shut that's true but like if shit. you don't watch shit like the day that it's released like let's say you have to go to a party or something and you miss like the latest episode of god forbid you're watching football during the fucking walking dead there and you get spoiled that happens to me every goddamn sunday so even if Fuck you're, you people even if you're dvring it and you mean to get to it like later that night it'll it still runs the risk of getting spoiled all you gotta do is stay off social media. You'll be fine. Yeah, but it, you can stay off social media for a night. You can get to it the next one or two days. I can't get to 13 episodes Fair. of a season in I, the next one or two days. I understand that. In my whole history of Netflix watching, I've never had a plot point or important character death spoiled for me. However, in the week-by-week 
standard protocol of The Walking Dead or other or Game of Thrones, I have had those spoiled for me. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm not really that avid with social media. I'm not a big Twitter guy. I'm not a big Instagram person. Um, I barely I use Facebook for what we do here. But those week to week programs consistently are spoiled. So I I understand your argument, and you want to complete it all. You want to see it. But I've seen the inverse happen to me consistently. So. Um, I'd rather have it all dumped. I can watch it on my own schedule. And more than often than not, man, like, uh, it, it happens during the weekend, and I have the time, and I'll, I'll watch a good chunk of it and follow right. up the next weekend. Um, but I, I haven't had Jessica Jones. I haven't had Daredevil. I haven't had um, House of Cards. Any of those series, none of them have been spoiled because of it all got dumped, and then I didn't have time to catch up. Yeah, the the one takeaway that I like is just if it's that good and you can't wait for the next episode, you just roll right into it. That's such a good feeling. But anyway, so there's differing schools of thoughts on the season dump. But let's talk about specifically Daredevil the show. Pretty good. You guys really liked it, right? Yeah, I loved it. It was really good. Yeah. Um, For me... Going in, I was like, ah, Daredevil's such an important Marvel character. Why don't they give him a movie? I think that this, the the way that they handled the story and and how realistically they portrayed some of the fights and the character, this was the best way that they could have rolled Daredevil out to the Marvel, you know, the new Marvel masses to right. take him. Yeah, I wasn't sure how this was going to gel with the rest of the... Happy, bright, funny Marvel Universe, but I don't know if it was just the format, because it was on Netflix, it was a series, that it still felt part of everything, but <clears throat> the the darkness worked with everything else. It was such a good series, they were able to, to develop Kingpin, they were able to develop Daredevil, and I'm not a huge Daredevil guy, but when it was like, hey, here's the series, this is what he's going to be wearing... It's a black mask and a black suit. I was like, what the fuck is that? Daredevil wears red with horns and the DD on the front. He's a devil. Fuck that. But the series was so good that by the time he gets to the red costume, I'm like, get it out of here. It's <laughs> fucking trash. I want the ninja yeah, outfit bring, back yeah, for season two. Bring back two. the black stuff. Yeah. It, well, that was taken from the John Romita Jr. artwork that uh, that he drew for the... Uh, the Man Without Fear five-issue miniseries written by Frank Miller, uh, which is has become kind of classic now that you know the, the TV series exists because that's where it pulls it from. But um, yeah, it had a really nice aesthetic to it. Uh, I didn't get very far, and you know, I know I told you guys I was going to finish, which I still am, and I'm probably going to binge on it here in the next few day few days, being off work. Um, so I'm kind of looking forward to it. I really am because I love Daredevil. Now, Paul, you're not a big Daredevil guy, but did it prompt you to read the the new Marvel series or anything? You have the wonderful Ron Garney drawing it. No, um, is that still Mark Wade? I'm. Or is it a new guy? I think it is. I don't know. Who? Ian, tell us who it is. Charles Soule. Mm-hmm. There you go, Charles good, Soule. Good. You love Charles uh, no, Soule. Yeah, well, I like I like Charles Soule. Charles Soule. That's not what you told him whenever you met him. He said, I love you, man. You know why? 
because that's when he was like one issue in to whatever Green Lantern book he was writing. And I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. And then he got further in and he was like, hey, all the stuff you like about Green Lantern. I have to follow what Robert Venditti's doing in the toilet. But no, this didn't, Daredevil didn't inspire me to go back and read any Daredevil books. But I'd like to read this latest Mark Wade run, which seems to be a high point of Daredevil comics. There's the Frank Miller stuff. There's Kevin Smith. Some Kevin Smith stuff, which I've read. And then, like, this Mark Wade stuff over the last couple of years seems to be. It, it's so. It's so claimed. I can't yeah. hear enough good well, stuff about it. I don't know, man. To me, the the Kevin Smith stuff is the highest of the high points of Daredevil. Um, I really liked some of the stuff that I read from Bendis, even though the Alex Maleev art is most certainly an acquired taste. If. It can ever be acquired. I don't even know. I, I still have like. Sometimes I'm like, this is kind of cool, and then other times I'm like, fuck this trash. His work on Lando is way more pulled back, more is comic it? book art style. I mean, you can still tell yeah. it's Alex Maleev, but I think who's writing if you're, that again? Um, Charles Lando, Soul. Charles Soule. Charles, look Soul. out! What a small world. Look at this. <laughs> right? All connects together. Now, also in quarter two, do we want to get into some of the movies that we went to? Right. So, uh, so we had Marvel. We had Marvel Television, Marvel Films. The big Marvel Marvel release this year was Avengers. Avengers Two: Age of Ultron. Hated it. Next. So, <sighs> you know, we were talking pre-show, and I was like, "Can you guys even believe that was this year?" No. It, it like it seems it, like so long it ago. It came and went. Like it was such a fanfare to get here because it had some really cool trailers that made it look like, "Holy fuck, this is going to be the Empire Strikes Back." Of yeah. the Marvel Ultron Cinematic Strikes Universe. Back. It and looked extremely dark. It looked like some some things with weight were going to happen. Someone that we give a shit about is going to die. And what happened? Someone that we didn't give a shit about died. Right. Yeah, it, I, I think going in, going in at the beginning of this year, Age of Ultron was one of our bullet point number one films to go watch. After an entire year of watching films, I man, it doesn't crack. It does, I don't know if it cracks the top ten. So, yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know. Um, they they went wrong with the amount of humor that they stuffed into this. Ultron could have been a really imposing, scary, demented villain. Instead, we just got James Spader yucking it up for two hours. Yeah, Ultron was super, super disappointing. Like, I don't I don't think I'll ever watch Age of Ultron again. Unless I get a hankering to sit down and just get my Avengers on and binge through all that Avengers stuff. Like, I, I have no reason to watch that again. Like, it, it was... It was super disappointing. And we got the shit kicked out of us for our low grades on Ultron and our just general, you know, disinterest yeah, of it. I'm, but I, I think can, looking I back... I can take a beating, bring it... That I, I think look, stunk. I think looking back, the fans of this podcast would agree that Age of Ultron was one of the... It, it was a miss. It yeah, really was. There, It had most moments... Most underwhelming films. It had moments that were good. Like, I mean, how could it not having all those characters and actors and Joss Whedon involved, but 
generally speaking, it was a miss, and we had really high expectations for it, given how good the first one was. Given and maybe, how good... and maybe some of that's on us. Yeah, to a degree, it is. But I mean, it should have been better than it was by but, a lot. I mean, doesn't doesn't Marvel and Joss Whedon go into the second part? of a trilogy with the Empire Strikes Back in the back of their heads. I mean, how can you fucking not do that at this point? Maybe Joss Whedon had that in mind and Marvel told him to switch gears, which would kind of go with his general unhappiness. If you read any of the the articles and any interviews that he had about the filming of this film, he didn't have a good time doing this one. Right. Like, that's why he didn't want to complete the trilogy. He was out. Like... You would think, well, dude, you did the first two. These are, like, some of the biggest movies of all time. Finish your trilogy, man. It probably doesn't feel like his trilogy. It feels like Marvel's thing. And it seemed like they they gave him a lot of uh, leeway to do the first one, but maybe the second one they had a clear direction that they wanted to And I, and I feel like that's something that came out this year was that the directors don't really get a lot of say. And in Marvel the Marvel movies. pantheon, like you know, Marvel uh, Marvel's gonna do what Marvel wants to do, and you're gonna need to fit what you do into their plans. Right, and that you're out. And that was all hinted with the Edgar Wright dropping out of Ant Man. That he wanted to make a certain movie, he had a vision in mind. He was the main person that got Ant Man to the point in production where it was, and then Marvel essentially told him that he couldn't make the movie that he pitched this whole time. Now, who's Edgar Wright? Edgar Wright is an uh, English director, famous for Shaun of the Dead. Did he do Hot Fuzz as well? And did he World's do End? I think he did all those... Because um, every time I the... hear Edgar Wright, Shit, I think name? Edgar Wright's got Simon Pegg. Simon Pegg, yeah. The Nick Frost movies. I get Do you do that too? What's that? Every time you hear the name Edgar Wright, I think Edgar Rice Burroughs. No, <laughs> no. I'm like, you're all alone, buddy. That's, okay, that's pretty fine. Yeah, Edgar Wright did do Hot Fuzz. Okay, so Age of Ultron, tons of hype. It was one of the movies that we thought, well, we're going to be talking about this. He movie also for... he also did The World's End. That's it, that was one that it, I said. As you well. know, it was. I think leading into the year, I was like. I looked at it as if this is the reason why we're getting Star Wars in December because Marvel owns that first week in May and that's why you know we're not going to get Star Wars in its rightful place in late spring early summer while Age of Ultron was sort of a disappointment we did get a pretty sort of uh, it was definitely a disappointment to the fans to critical the box office I mean to the these three fans at this table, everybody else fucking loves that movie. Yeah. But a movie that actually... Who do, who do we care about? <laughs> the three people at this table. At this table. A movie that rightfully got a lot of acclaim, a lot of accolades, and was a surprise, I think, to all of us. Mad Max came out in the second quarter. Yeah, that was really good. I, I just watched it. I got the DVD for Christmas. I thought you were going to say, I just watched it. I got the chills. I didn't get the chills. It wasn't as impactful on small screen, but it was still a really awesome streamlined story. I've never seen the original Mad Max movies, but even seeing the trailers for 
even seeing the trailers for Mad Max leading up to the movie, I was like, that's a movie that we need to see in the theater. Like, that's something that isn't going to translate well. I don't care how great of a fucking TV and sound system you have at home. It's just not going to translate the way it's supposed to be seen. Right. And, you know, I, I went in like, yeah, it's probably going to be pretty neat. It looks cool. And it blew me away, man. It looks so fucking cool. Like, all the practical effects and, you know, the over-the-top car stuff. That's and- that's my most hated term of 2015, by the way. Practical effects. I'm going to practically have a shit next Why time. Why is it your least favorite term? Because it's... Overused? It's, it's overused and I feel or like you, it's... Or you think it's taking a shit on George Lucas? Well, it is. It's it, every time it's used, I feel like it's taking a I, shot. I think when the Force Awakens uses it, it's taking a shot. But I think when it's George Miller and Mad Max uses it, it's like, hey man, we put this guy up on fucking bungee cables on the top of this car. Right. This is wild. It is, and that's cool. But it it's just become such a cliched term at this point that like I just can't handle it because it was. I feel like it was birthed as a way to shit on something else. So, yeah, whenever I hear it, I'm about ready to, like, just puke. <laughs> and what's funny is it's always used on films that have a ton of seeds. Exactly. Like Mad right. Max. Did we really throw those dudes into a fucking lightning hurricane? No, we didn't do any of that. Well, There's wait, tons wait, of CG. What? <laughs> we, they didn't? <laughs> the same as... Star Wars, The Force Awakens. There was no Pratt. CG in that. There were tons effects, man. of fucking CG. They, Every, built, they built fucking spaceships. Yeah. And right. and then also the dinosaurs, I think, in uh, Those were the all Jurassic real. World. They, Jurassic were, they got World. real dinosaurs. They actually cloned real dinosaurs for that movie. Wait. Practical effects. B.D. Wong actually did it. He's yeah. not acting in, in, in that movie. He's a real guy. He's that's playing a, himself. I can totally That's a documentary? As a, a real doctor. Like, I look at him and I think, that's a real doctor. That's not an actor. So, speaking of Mad Max, Jurassic World came out the week after? Or a couple weeks after? They right were really the, close. Right it, was close. it was close. They were real close. Mad Max, I didn't expect too much. I went in. Mad Max I was one it. of those I thought it was movies super fucking that, cool. that like kind of got word of mouth going. And it really got more popular after it first came out. I don't even think it debuted at number one, but... In fact, it may have never been number one at the box office, but it continued to do well after it came out, which is kind of not real usual for a, a film these days, especially a summer release. Right. Uh, Jurassic World, a movie that didn't really need any word of mouth. It had a, a substantial uh, marketing pushed behind it it was substantial but at the same time i was worried about that one i was like "Eh, those raptors and like running with them on the motorcycle i was like this could be really fucking horrible chris pratt he was great as star lord but is he gonna be able to be (laughs) Maldoon jr or whatever the fuck he was in that movie (laughs) how dare you Uh, is that not what he was his name was mal jr he was he he was Ian Malcolm, Maldon, mashup. He was more Ian Grant Jr. Or Ian, Ian Grant. Ian Alan Grant, Grant Jr. Alan Grant. He combined Ian Grant. Ian Grant with a little splash of Maldon in there just for to give it some flavor. So we were, you know, we're not. You can be Star Lord 
a character that he could kind of run with and do whatever the hell he wanted with. It, if Star-Lord isn't exactly what we had in our mind, it's only going to piss off one person because Paul's the only fucker that read Guardians before the movie. So, Jurassic World, we did have some concerns, uh, but I think that we were all, and the box office will show, pleasantly surprised and very happy with that film. Yeah, not everyone liked Jurassic World. The Jurassic Park purists weren't happy with Jurassic World. But as far as a What was the complaint from your fucking stupid brother? The only dummy that didn't like this movie? Man, he came out of the... We were on fucking vacation. We were supposed to be having a great time, and he came out of the movie so fucking sour grapes. Like a raptor just shit in his mouth. Like it just it just didn't speak to his soul. What did he want the from it? That he I wanted want him it to, to still to this day come on this podcast and defend his whiny diaper shitting <laughs> opinion of Jurassic World. <laughs> the 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 closest I could get to it was he he wanted Jurassic World to give us what we wanted the prequels to give to us, and they didn't. Which is so funny was, because a criticism of Jurassic World is that all it did was remix the first Jurassic Park and was all about, hey, did you like that banner? Did you like those Jeeps? Did you like this stuff? Well, it's all in this movie. I liked, so they tried really hard, I liked, Matthew. I liked all of it. Some stuff, I, I admit, some stuff was kind of goofy. Some stuff I didn't need. But overall, what a fun, entertaining movie. Is, does that cap off quarter two? Uh, it does, yeah. What happened in, se- in quarter three? I was going to say season three. Actually, it doesn't cap off quarter two. Oh, shit. Quarter what the two. fuck there, else there happened was one in quarter more, two? There was, there was one more film worth mentioning. It was Marvel's Ant-Man. Um, that was quarter two? June. June, yeah. So it might be the... Um, the Marvel movie that delivered this year, albeit with much, 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 much lower expectations, but what a fun movie it was. I mean, it, you know, it in many ways to me it was kind of forgettable, but while you're watching it, especially in 3D, and I usually think 3D is crap, but this one was just kind of a, a pleasure. You want to see it in 3D? Didn't I? No. We didn't? We didn't. Well, it looks like it would be good in 3D. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, you saw Ant-Man twice? What the fuck's wrong with you? No, it wasn't that good. But there were moments, especially when he was shrunk down to size, that were so good. Um, And it, it kind of like... It had such a complex villain. Well, if you go back and listen to our archive podcast, it sounds like we're taking we're taking a big fucking shit on Ant Man, and that's unfair because Ant Man actually was a good it's, movie. we're taking shots at former podcast guests. When Dominic Yossi <laughs> guested on the on the podcast, he he had said that the villain was He's like a really tonight. complex an interesting character and we all kind of like beat him up a little because yeah, it was the most Mom, I lost my mind when you said that it was the was most mustache twirly evil villainous devilish it, villains of all time I don't know about you guys but to this day thinking about when he shrunk that one guy down to nothing 
except like a little gooey stain on the restroom floor of the men's room. And then he goes to wipe them up with toilet paper, no less. And it smeared like it was such a shoddy. It was such a shoddy way of cleaning up a homicide. And and like it was just <laughs> he left a smear and then he flushed it down the toilet. It was the most unceremonious death ever. And it to this day cracks me up. I can't even think about it without laughing. Yeah. But I think I'm the only one that really enjoyed that moment. Yeah, I thought it was just really gross. <laughs> it was yeah. like a pink goo. <laughs> I think I had that in one of my mad scientist toys from like nineteen eighty eight. I think besides Corey Stoll's, you know, Corey Stoll's a very capable actor. I think besides him being wasted on a one-note, just one-dimensional villain, Ant-Man was kind of a surprise for a lot of people. It was. That was a really fun movie. That was a very enjoyable movie. I think the standout of the film was Michael Pena and his retelling of of uh, you know different events that were taking place, and I think some of, like some of the way that he was doing that was a little bit improvised. The flashback scenes where the people are uh, lip syncing along with his story—that's probably the most memorable stuff. From oh yeah, I uh, as much as I love Michael Pena and Ant Man, I don't think he should be Ponch in the Chips movie. But man, was he great in Ant Man? Stole stole the movie. Stole the movie. Uh, was it the the better of the two Marvel films this year? Yeah, yeah, hands down, no question. See, I, I don't necessarily agree with that. While it was a bigger surprise, like a pleasant surprise, I mean, we had uh, much higher expectations for Age of Ultron. But if you put the two of them side by side, I probably enjoyed Age of Ultron better, even though it disappointed me more. If that makes sense. So if you had the option of watching one or the other tonight, yes, you'd pick Ultron. Yeah, I think I would pick Ant Man. I would undoubtedly pick Ant Man. Yeah. Well, that's what makes you, you, and me, me. That's right. Two sides of the same coin. Right. So speaking of coins, let's talk about quarter three. The Fantastic Four came oh, out. Jesus. To probably the most disappointing opening maybe ever in the history of cinema that movie was d-o-a Ian, do you know what that stands for dead on arrival that's right man when the entire time before this movie was released with all the promotion matt couldn't take more of a gigantic <laughs> diarrhea on the casting the director the promotion the trailers matt hated this movie said it was going to be one of the biggest disappointments in film history i i don't know if that's a direct quote but you said something i hated it. very outsized like that and holy shit were you right for all of you out there that text us all the time about how dumb matt is you're wrong. Matt knows what the <laughs> hell he's talking about. He's Matt, Matt, Matt Stradamus with this because you were one hundred percent right with Let's the Fantastic Four. Let's be clear. A few months out, anybody could have predicted this was going to be a steaming pile of crap. But maybe a year out, like I was starting to shit on it, it was a little bit more of an unknown. 
but holy cow, did it end up being possibly even worse than we thought it could be. Um, like, and we, I had kind of like turned on it because initially, like, I was almost gleefully enjoying how bad it was going to be because I felt like the director had no respect for the source material. I felt like the casting decisions were just off the charts inappropriate. But then, like, as it became more obvious that it was going to be terrible, I started to, like, almost feel sorry for it. And then I, it was turning into, like, the little, the little movie that could. And I wanted it to, like, kind of prove me wrong in a way. Because, like, I was like, but it's Fantastic Four. Like, I want it to be good. I like Michael B. Jordan, you know? Like, I, I hated the original casting of, um... Uh, what's the actor's name that played uh, Reed? Uh, don't remember. Whiplash guy. Yeah, I think he's out of Hollywood now. That he. <clears throat> no, no, no. Miles no. Teller. Miles. Well, Teller. Miles Teller's gonna be just fine. And and like I hated him like being cast in that in such a kind of like a I want to say a mature role like Reed Richards to me is supposed to be. But the more, like, I got to see him in interviews and things, I was like, you know, I'm kind of liking this guy. Like, I, I want it to do well, but, like, the writing was on the wall. It was going to be terrible. And, uh, and I stand by that the casting was wrong across the board. As much as I liked him as Reed, it just, it just wasn't right. It just wasn't really Reed Richards. It was never Johnny Storm. As a matter of fact, Michael B. Jordan was the closest thing to an accurate casting like an actor, an accurate portrayal of one of the four members of the Fantastic Four, even if he wasn't the right race. And they gave him absolutely nothing to do. They really didn't. It, it, he got the short shift, the short end of the stick. The trailers were bizarre because like half the trailers didn't actually appear in the movie. It seemed like like um, uh, company meddling like completely ruined the original director's vision, which probably wasn't that good to begin with. It just, it was a mess top to bottom, and it, it turned out even worse than I think we thought it could be. Uh, and here's the weird thing. They still haven't said if there's going to be a sequel or not. I think they quietly took Fantastic Four number two off of their schedule, so it's not planned as of this point. Yeah, I mean, I they still I have the rights, but um, I think they would be uh, doing the property and the fans... A great service by figuring out a way to get some of those rights back over to Marvel so that we can maybe have a chance to have a good Fantastic Four. Um, but, I mean, it was... I've never seen a movie tank in this fashion. Even before we made it to the theater, we have the director... Um, you know, well, the director tweeting out, well... From, from now until the end of my life... When I think of this Fantastic Four movie, I will think of the picture that we took in the theater. Right. Which was the three of us <laughs> and some random girl. Yeah. Yeah. Ten minutes before showtime. Yeah. Opening I mean, weekend. An opening weekend in an empty theater. And there the, were fucking four of us. In the era of comic book movies in the middle <clears throat> of the summer, 
Yeah. It's not like this movie didn't have commercials and hype and all kinds of stuff. Like, people knew that this movie was out there. And that random girl was there by herself. I'm pretty sure she worked for some newspaper or blog <laughs> and had to go review it. Like, we were the, I think the three of us were the only ones there by choice. <laughs> it was the saddest opening. Let, let's be fair, though, okay? Because, like, this is, people have this idea that it's the worst comic book movie ever. It's not. Um, There's been worse. There just hasn't been worse in, like, the the current, like, golden age of comic book movies. Like, I think we've sort of established maybe, like, X-Men 1 is kind of the start of, like, the modern comic book movie as we know it. And then everything else before was kind of, like, a little bit more of a Wild West. But now there's kind of a formula to it. There's a little bit of, like, there's standards. And in that era, there is nothing worse. It's... Well, I didn't see Jonah Hex. You know what? Ghost Rider was pretty fucking Jonah Hex, bad too. Um, Ghost Rider Two. Ghost Rider Two, horrible, right? Is Ghost Rider One at least has sweet, sweet Ava Mendez in it. Ghost Rider Two, she's not a in load it. of poop. Well, nothing redeemable about that one. Poop. And Idris Elba is in, in it, it. but it? he's not all that good. And maybe if I see Fantastic Four again. I will change my mind. We will you after see one... Fantastic Four again. <laughs> yeah, well, That's uh, the question. That. I'm not opposed to watching it once it's on. <laughs> once it's on FX at some point. But I, I feel like the first half of that movie is still pretty good. It's not necessarily a Fantastic Four movie, but the mm-hmm. movie that we're given for the first half is solid. It, yeah, I like the characters. Yeah. I like the the arcs that they're on. I like the situations that they're given. It's only after that that everything starts to fall apart. And that's kind of where Josh Trank was like, well, you know, I had this vision, and then I wanted to do this, but then the studio wanted to do something else. Well, there are conflicting reports from uh, from the set about how difficult Josh Trank was to work with, about how he essentially... Mm-hmm. He he like quit on the quit job. on the movie and just refused to actually do anything. There's and that there's certainly something to it because it was all timed right around the time of him getting fucking shit canned from doing the Star Wars spinoff movie, which wasn't a coincidence, you know. Like and they they even were nice enough. Disney was nice enough to say he stepped away. He was fucking fired. I I mean. The best thing to come out of this is going to be in 10 years whenever we get the behind-the-scenes documentary about mm. how this dysfunctional film was even made. Um, I, I don't think that you get tapped for a Disney movie, be in, and it's Star Wars as well. Those are two big heavy-hitter things. And then you just, before you even sit down to shoot one frame of film you get fired mm-hmm. because you're just just too difficult to work right. with your I mean, reputation precedes you now uh, so that's fantastic for moving on to another 20th century Fox property uh, we were we were treated and delighted to a Deadpool trailer which is really interesting because the three of us here at this table none of us are Deadpool fans uh and yet, this trailer looks good. Like, yeah. this movie looks like it's going to be good. It looks like it's going to be different as well. Right. But here's the cool thing. They even have, like, the X-Men in it. Like, Colossus is in it. 
And this is a movie that's not going to shy away from the F word. They're not going to shy away from blood and guts and violence and inappropriate humor. Like, this is going to set a new standard. And, and it knows that it's doing all these things, too. It's so self-aware of how it's kind of breaking the, the traditional comic book conventions with, with this movie. And it's kind of a breath of fresh air. At least it looks like it's going to be because usually we're getting these movies that kind of follow the same formula again and again and again. And it's become kind of boring to us. I think it's even brave um, with the way that they're marketing this. The fact that I've seen a bunch of um, commercials on ESPN. They were going to air another trailer later on you know, in December. And... They have they have Ryan Reynolds talking in a mask. I mean, how many times do we joke about how heroes in superhero films have to take their mask off? Why are they taking their mask off? Well, because the studio wants you to see their face. Well, that's not what they're doing here. They're they're sticking with the character and having him do these spots in Dare, his mask. Daredevil's and, taking everything and throwing it out the window. Like aside from the Deadpool. Yeah, what did I say? Daredevil. 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 De- yeah, Deadpool. I was like, Paul, you realize we're on quarter three here, Deadpool's, not quarter two. Deadpool's going nuts, and I don't even like Deadpool because everyone likes Deadpool, and I don't fucking understand why. But aside I, from the, I don't really understand why. Either. I've tried many times, pick up a bunch of Deadpool books, read the most highly acclaimed arcs, always bounces right off. But me. aside from the official trailers that have been released, like we get. The trick-or-treating Ryan Reynolds video with the kids. And he's dropping F-bombs around these kids. And, like, it's they just don't give a fuck. They're like, here's what's expected of the character. Just go nuts. Like, here, we'll, we'll put your official movie trailer together. Essentially. Whatever you guys want to do outside of that, go crazy. They're like, be Van Wilder. Like, you're good at that. That's what made you super famous. Go ahead and do that. It's refreshing to see... The studio just kind of dropped the reins and, and let the character and what's true to the property kind of drive the marketing and drive the hype. Yeah, I don't even like Deadpool. Yeah. Just based on our our convention appearances. But I'm, I'm in. It's crazy. We talk about it all the time. He's one of the most popular characters at the conventions. People, we see, we see him all the time at conventions, and he's never appeared on screen yet or in anything really but video games and comic books it's really the next time we see some kid dressed as Deadpool I'm gonna grab him by the neck (laughs) and be like where do you know this character from how the fuck do you know who this is I don't know we like the creator though we do like Rob Liefeld creator of Deadpool and patron saint of McSauce well Let's not get let's not get over the top. Do we want to move into quarter well, four? There there was one uh, significant comic book release uh, that also happened in quarter three. It was the Archie series. Uh, Mark Wade started writing it, which if he let you down on Princess Leia, he has followed through on Archie. Archie, it, it's it's so good, like because it's finding this incredible balance between like an all ages thing and yet still making it accessible for, like, a grown adult. It's not just gearing it toward, like, females or males. Like, it, it's 
I feel like it's the for everyone comic book. And then you you put Fiona Staples art on top of it and it is a masterpiece. It is so good. You know, it it's easily rivaling um it's it's probably my runner up for best comic book series of the year. Yeah, it's it really was surprising. I don't have any other uh prior um prior uh, you know readings of Archie mm-hmm. I it's something that never really spoke to me but I'm a big Mark Wade fan big Fiona Staples whose work this year on Saga also was really high quality um, this stuff with Archie's a little different because she doesn't do the coloring and the inking somebody else takes over those chores for her mm-hmm. and I think for this property that fits it um, really well it's it's cool to bring Archie into this century to make it feel a little more relatable like you said it's for everyone it, it really is um, it, it's incredible the way that they've it one of the big treats in the in the comic book was actually seeing the original Archie comic and you get to see like just sort of I mean you don't see the evolution necessarily but you see the starting point and to see where he came from, like his roots from the 50s compared to what he is now in the 21st century is really remarkable that they were onto something that they created in a character that endures to this day. Like he's probably made the transition to the 21st century better than fucking Superman is right now. What's that tell you? It tells you the stewards of the property are not doing Superman right. So what does that mean? Mark Wade should be writing Superman? Yeah. I, I, I wasn't a fan of Archie. I read one issue and I was bored to tears. It I just nominate. wasn't what I was expecting. Oh, you sound like your brother now. Wasn't what you wanted, so... Um, well... Yeah, it wasn't. Um, what were you expecting? That's a... Fair question. I was expecting something a little less G-rated. Mm-hmm. I didn't need an R. I didn't need a PG-13. I wasn't expecting Deadpool to show up Yeah. in Archie, but I expected something with a little more edge. But it still felt like we're going to the malt shop with Fiona Staples on art. It felt uh... just so clean and, and nice. But, but Archie is clean and nice. I think they did a right, good job but... of updating it. But I expected more of an update. Like, I don't think I expected you can't them to push bring... it too much because then it's not Archie anymore. That's right. But, you know, you... How would you bring Archie into 2015? I wouldn't. I cancel it. It's a dead property. <laughs> All right. So, <laughs> moving on. Moving no, like, on. I, but, but there's, there's properties that we grew up with, like the Dan Abnett Masters of, of the Universe property. He's doing a great job writing that for our age. Like, there's a different kind of sophistication to it. There's more levels to the emotions of the characters and, and who they are other than this guy's the hero, this guy's the bad guy. This I think guy's you can play with the mythology of He-Man way more. You have more leeway in that universe than you do it with Archie. You can only push teenage drama so far until it becomes a PG-13, and you don't want to do that with Archie. I agree, and not only that, but He-Man is going to appeal more to a specific demographic. Like, I don't feel like kids give a crap about He-Man, whereas Archie can still appeal to a kid. Like, 
He-Man is only going to appeal to somebody like in their thirties. Like I don't, I don't see like forty-five-year-olds being into it, and I don't see seventeen-year-olds being into it. Like it is a very niche thing, uh, and and I feel like they probably did do a good job of kind of like nailing and and kind of like zoning in on that on that specific demographic for He-Man. Um, the thing that I always struggle with with He-Man though. I don't think the art has been all that good in any of like the series. Like I feel like it's if fucking Fiona Staples was drawing it, I'd be like way all over that. But like I, I just I struggle getting into it because I feel like the art is so pedestrian. Right, and um, I'm with you on the art, but I disagree on everything else. I think if I think if anything, the property itself is what keeps other demographics away. But if you give a 17-year-old this book and say, you know what, give it a go. Give it a few issues. Then it's going to pull in a 17-year-old comic book reader. Same with a 45-year-old comic book reader. This is an intelligent book. It's a book that's really expanding on the history of Eternia and He-Man and you know the mystical forces throughout this world, just like Game of Thrones does. Yeah, sword, it's, swords it's really, and sorcery I think it's, is always pretty. Um, that that appeals to everyone. That's sort of a timeless thing. I would love to agree with you on that if we didn't have an example of somebody who it doesn't really latch on to, which is your brother, who's only a few years younger than you, and he could give a shit about him. Right, but he is also a guy that doesn't give a shit about comic books. You could give right. him his favorite property in the world in comic book form. And he's not going to be interested in it. Well, the thing is, I, I agree with what you're saying. I'm sure that it's great and could appeal to different things. But I was saying the point that you made, that property only appeals to a certain demographic. There's a connotation that goes along with it. Like, you know, like if somebody updated the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers and put it in an awesome comic book and expanded the mythology and updated it for a more mature audience, I'd still say... Fuck it, I don't want to read it. Get it out of my face with your red, pink, and blue. Right. And that's the Morgan same way Power I feel Rangers. about Archie. I'm like, this shit's for fucking 50-year-olds. Get it out of here. Oh, Mark Wade and Fiona Staples, we're going to update this. We're going to develop these characters. We're going to take them to a different place. And then I read it, and I'm like, oh, this guy still wants to go to the malt shop. I don't think the words malt shop ever existed in any of those issues. Yeah, they don't say malt shop, but it's essentially it's essentially the same character. Now, granted, he doesn't need to be fucking shooting heroin, okay? <laughs> but, like, I wanted something... I wish it had all the same aesthetics and dynamics, yeah, yeah. except it was the heroin malt shop. <laughs> I, th- I, thought it was, I thought it was gonna so be Paul something... Paul would be happy. Something a little bit different, but it was, it was just so... It was so G-rated, and I'm not. Then that, if that's what they were going for, that's the audience they're looking for. That's great. I'm glad you guys liked it. You know, I, I Archie, just think it's, Archie it, wasn't for me. That's fine. I think it's just that's the spirit of Archie. You can't, you can't make it anything more than something that is G-rated. You but can't, you can't take it anyway. because Archie versus zombies or whatever the fuck that is. After that's selling gangbusters, and that's way different. If only it would come out more often. Um, so it's possible Mark Wade and Fiona Staples just is, didn't it, do it. Yeah, I mean, is that more of the zombie culture that we live in now? 
Fuck if you put, zombie. If you put, oh, dude, sure. if you put zombies in fucking anything, it's going to sell gangbusters. Yeah, but I, well, I will say this. I feel like Archie's maybe a little more PG than G, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Paul just wants heroin uh, and uh, fucking I, and... What else do you want? It's a, it's a soft PG. I'll give you that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> So murder right. is that no, what you want with your Archie drive-by shootings? I don't know. Archie and Compton. Uh, is that I what you need? Archie fuck? joins the Crips. <laughs> I can't. I can't detail it. The Riverdale put, Crips. They Riverdale put an Crips. actual finger on it, but I just I wanted. That's something. what you want. Fingering in Archie. Right. You deviant. Something fuck. a little edgier. Archie didn't provide it. So let's move on to quarter four. I don't think anything happened in quarter four. That'll do it, folks. We, we really. can skip it. There's nothing significant to kind of cap the year. We had Supergirl, the CBS television hit drama. Is that doing well? It's doing very good. Good. That's good to hear. It looked really terrible to me. I d- yeah, as, as, as well as Supergirl's doing with ratings and in, you know with uh, fan reviews, I think you'd hate its guts. Yeah, it looks softer than fucking Archie. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> it is. Well, it, <laughs> it's not soft. Nothing than Archie, can be softer than but, Archie, but it's as soft. The Muppets are more hard hitting than either that, one of those. That's true. Yeah, that's I mean, Supergirl's Supergirl's soft, but I mean, but Supergirl's a comic book show, and I think there's a certain. There's a demographic, there's mm-hmm. a, a certain tone that that show's going for mm-hmm. that it's absolutely living up to. And it's living up to that while also introducing a lot of DC mythology into it. They just introduced John Jones a couple weeks does ago. It, does it like exist in any existing continuity like the other shows on no, WWE? No, it's a thing. I think there's a possibility... That it could link up with the Flash and Arrow because it's in the Greg Berlanti verse. Mm-hmm. He's the showrunner or, or producer of does all it, those. Does it acknowledge the Man of Steel mythology at all? Oh, they say Superman and Clark Kent and Lois Lane and the Daily Planet all over the place. Lex you get Luthor, a, a, yeah. a silhouette of Superman in the first. This version of Superman. Are I don't, they saying like the uh, the mass murderer Superman or anything like that? No. Essentially, yes. Are they? Because they acknowledged the super flare, and the super flare wasn't introduced until Jeff Johns. Did made they? Up did this they year. say that her S is hope? No, I think. I think it's what their family crest. I think what Matt's saying is: is it directly tied to Man of Steel? Right. Oh no, it's it's not tied to Man of Steel at all. It's more tied to current the current Superman, Superman comics. Well, oh. it's tied to the New Fifty Two right comics, not the current. Uh, Gene Lu and Yang comics, Got it. which are off the rails. I thought is the Super Flare isn't from that stuff. Yeah, it it is from it is from the Gene Lu and Yang stuff, but you get the sense in Supergirl that it's New Fifty Two Superman. It's not like he's because you whenever get... you whenever you see the silhouette of him and he shows up, it's the flowing cape. You know, you don't see. A T-shirt and, and a, a buzz cut. cut. Yeah, yeah. Um. But it takes place in a Superman universe, populated DC universe. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's for you. It doesn't look to be. But it's 
they're, they do some really cool stuff on that show. Flash is the high watermark for DC on television. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Arrow's a little too dark. Supergirl's a little too light. But Flash pulls everything together just the way it should be. Flash is the gold standard. Goldilocks of the DC universe. Yeah, just I, right. I think that uh, it's Goldilocks. Oh, because the porridge, right? Yeah, too hot, too cold. <clears throat> I like it. Or the bed's too soft, too hard. That's true. It was just the porridge in the bed, right? There wasn't a third thing. Is there, there a, third a third thing? I feel like there was. So she comes in, right? She comes in and she <gasps> we steals are this, the worst. <laughs> she steals this porridge. Does she do something in between the porridge and the bed? Is that that she does, right? I what could it be? Like toilet seat? Three toilets? Why would they have three toilet seats? Which she would have to race upstairs, then downstairs, then Pittsburgh bathroom, right? Papa Bear's dick was too hard. Oh! oh! Mama Bear's Moving on, moving on. Anything else happened in quarter four, Ian? Do we want to talk about... Star Trek trailer came out I was amazingly underwhelmed she sits in their chairs eats their porridge and falls asleep in their beds oh okay okay I thought it had does she get to... eaten at the end because this home intruder that should be eaten that's little red riding hood I know I'm, I'm I don't know what happens to Goldilocks though does something bad happen to her she jumps from the window and is and never breaks seen again her fucking neck is that what it says yeah well I'm, I'm on I'm on Wikipedia like I'm not reading the official story but Maybe in German the, I think yeah alright so I the, think those Germans would kill that the girl. Star Trek well, I know what was our German word from the beginning of the show I don't so long ago. I, I don't know. It was. Star Trek trailer, we were... I, I was like underwhelmed. I you like were it. underwhelmed, Matt. Paul, you liked it. Yeah, what? it was fun. It was all right. It was cool. What about it, like, really kind of gets your juices flowing? I like, uh... Motorcycles? Motorcycles and I like Chris Pine. motorcycles. I like uh, the guys playing McCoy, whose name I can't think of right Big now. Big Beastie Boys fan? Big Sabotage See, guy? I'm not a big sab. Well, I like sabotage is the only Beastie Boys song that I like, and I know it's a tie back to the it's tying back to the first Star Trek trailer. Mm-hmm. And but, by the way, apparently that was in it because J.J. Abrams is a huge Beastie Boys fan, which I would think he would have better taste than that. Come on, nothing wrong with the Beastie Boys, uh, but you I've, can't I've put it all over Star. Trek. I've never been a Beastie Boys fan. I like the Beastie Boys. Sounds of Science, no. the best of Beastie Boys. Some, I would highly recommend it. Some friends of the McSauce podcast, some former guests of the McSauce podcast. Let's shit on more guests, shall we? Our big Star Wars guy. Yeah, big Star, Star Trek. Trek guys. Imagine that. And they would prefer a more cerebral Star Trek. More one set shots. A more. With a lot of talking a more hard sci-fi take over the action adventure motorcycle chase yeah. extravaganza more interstellar less mission impossible uh i'm not in that camp you know i'll go back i'll watch some old 60s star trek and i'll 
get down on that shit because it's classic and I'll I'll watch it. But uh, you know, I was I was I was into this trailer. I, we get some comedy. I think that weird shot with uh, Simon Pegg's pod falling off the cliff and he jumps and holds on. That's a little bit over the top. It's fucking Scotty. Not Luke Skywalker. Yeah, Scotty should be... No way Scotty can fucking do that. Scotty should be waking up just in time to fall to his death. I don't care if you're fucking Simon Pegg or James Doohan. Neither are pulling that fucking off. Aside from that, I thought it looked like a good time. We get a little comedy. We get some motorcycle no, action. It looks like it's going to be entertaining. It'll yeah, be good. It'll I'm be sure I'll go movie. see it. But it, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like... The bar's been set pretty high for these movies. I expected a little bit more out of, like, especially the first trailer. Maybe a little bit more melodramatic and less, like, kind of zany and silly, especially with, like, the Beastie Boys music. Like, that's such a... Those Star Trek movies have such a good, rich score with Michael Giacchino, like, writing that music. Instead, they just are like, oh, here's some Beastie Boys. This will get you pumped for for the movie. Well, not if you're a fucking... Or not if you're not a Beastie Boys fan, and I'm not. And, you know, I think they could have just scaled it back just a little bit. Um, I feel like they didn't actually create any kind of, like, idea what the story is or real drama or anything with the trailer. It was just like, action, 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 action. And it was like, okay, I'm spent. I think we got spoiled with how good the Star Wars trailers were this past year with... Making us excited and really anticipate the film coming out, but not really hinting at too much. That not said, really giving away. We know nothing about Star Trek Beyond. We know so far. the Enterprise gets gets destroyed. They crash on a planet. Someone from Hellboy Two shows up I and think, fights some people. Yeah. But even still, That's all we know. Don't you feel like we know more about that than we did a week going into? The Force Awakens, like oh, we didn't know what the hell was going on in that. Kind film. of, like well, we well, no, I, I think we know they lose their ship. Much. They lose their ship, right? They lose their ship, and they're and they're and, stranded on a planet, and they're fighting. That's they, all we know. They're fighting that uh, the Idris Elba monster character. Is that who that is, or is I believe that's who's or speaking. is Idris Elba a Klingon that we haven't seen yet? Is his name Idris? Idris? Idris Elba? I just said it because he's black, and I assume he knows better than me. I think Idris, it's Idris Elba. Idris? 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 I Elba. Let's go with Idris because I- it sounds. Idris? Strong. Strong. Oh, those? And In- Idris. Idris? Whatever. It, yeah, it, it, sound, it sounds anyway. alpha. Idris! Yeah, I don't think I don't think we I, I think we've barely scratched the surface yeah. with the plot of this story. Do you Trek think movie. that in however many months it takes us to get there, that we won't have more trailers that will kind of spoil the plot of the film? I think we'll get more and more of that as we go. Uh, it, this just didn't feel like a very good like opening teaser to me. It 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 just didn't. Um, in no way did it make me more excited for this movie than I think I ordinarily would have been. Yeah. And uh, I was actually disappointed in it. The first time I saw it was when we saw Star Wars in the theater. And I was really excited that they were going to open with a trailer for Star Trek. 
because um, I feel like in many ways that series and you know the new Star Wars going forward are kind of linked now and um, you know this new Star Trek series is the first time I've really ever been like in on Star Trek and it just left me feeling really empty afterwards the the only problem I had with it was that it didn't it didn't give me a real link to the movie before it. Well, not only that, but like I, I feel like they've been setting up the Klingon War for two movies now, and it looks like that's not what this was going to be. And I was like positive that's what this was going to be. But and that's a letdown to me. But part of me is also thinking, you know what? We released this first trailer. We held some stuff back, and in the meantime, we saw. Batman v Superman in the fourth quarter give up way too much shit. We know everything about this movie now. Why even bother going to see it? <laughs> and we also saw Star Tra- or Star Wars hold everything back. No one knew anything. Until they started releasing TV spots. I think they're up to like 17. No. No one knew anything until the movie premiered. Right. So Star Trek... Star Trek's in a position where they can go from here and say, well, you know what? Batman v Superman isn't getting all that all that great response from just throwing everything out there. Star Trek was... or Star Wars was the most hyped movie of all time. So, you know what? Maybe we don't show the big Klingon War. Maybe that's the big climax of the movie. We save it. Idris Elba... Huge actor right now. Everybody wants him in. All of their fucking shit. Marvel wants him in more stuff, but they're like, fuck, why did we make him Heimdall? Heimdall sucks. They also had him in that Ghost Rider too. They're like, let's get as much as we can. So, Who gives a shit? So I feel like Star Trek is in a, in a unique position now to really, really take in everything they've seen and give us something and give us the right trailer. For the second trailer, out. that's a lot of faith. That's bizarre. I'm sorry. I, the, I, the the right trailer should have been the first and the second. Like, don't don't give them a pass for coming up with the wrong. Trailer I'm not. For the I first don't. One. This is not a wrong trailer for me. For me, this is the right trailer. I like it. There's funny stuff. There's action stuff. I'm in. Do we think that if this trailer was all those fucking dudes sitting around talking? For two and a half minutes, I'd have been like, done, done, delete, I'm out. Do you think that by alienating, because I think that's what is happening here, they're alienating the core of the Star Trek fans, do you think that's the right move by bringing in all the action sci-fi people that maybe don't Mm. care about Star Trek? Doesn't matter. If you're alienating the core Star Trek fans, they're going to go see it anyway. Opening night, they're still going to see it anyway. Let's, Whether they don't like what they see up right. until that point or not, they're still going to go see it. First of all, they're not alienating them because they already shoehorned in that ridiculous alternate reality like plotline, the first one. But we're not talking about the but, first one. We're talking no, about this they, trailer. They, it's still tied to it, so that way all those nerds are happy. And secondly, if they are alienating original Star Trek fans they're doing something right because now that series has the potential to be much bigger than just this little nerdy niche thing that you're considered like one of the biggest nerds in the world if you like it hey 
That's that's the way that your, your Star culture, Trek hate is showing, man. I don't hate Star Trek. I don't hate Star Trek. I'm telling you like it is. Star Trek. If you're a Star Trek fan, generally speaking, you're looked at as being a huge nerd. Like being a Trekkie is considered like super nerdy. Like so by is being a Star Wars standards. fan. So is being a comic book fan. Matt. Agreed, but this but, isn't a cool contest because we would all lose, Matt. Agreed, but there. I would say whoa, whoa, there are whoa, whoa. levels. Slow your roll, son. But it isn't. I mean, I know that your your ego doesn't want you to feel that way. In, but we would all lose. It's I agree. I agree. Nerdy. It's, all, it's all nerdy stuff. However, it is kind of like in vogue right now to be kind of like into some of this like nerdy stuff. Like that's why like some of these hot chicks like to wear Marvel t-shirts and <clears> stuff. You don't see any hot chicks wearing fucking Starfleet t-shirts. But you but do. You'll see you them see them wearing them in Spider-Man. Where, where, I'm sorry, where do you see this? At comic conventions. We see it all the I time. I didn't see any, but I saw like a maybe lot of hotties wearing. Maybe, maybe your Star Trek blinders were on. I don't Jordy know. LaForge. Oh! He could see, motherfucker. I don't Support know, Ian. your people. Could he see his fucking... He could see better he, than he the could, rest of us. He could see with his cybernetic eyes. So he had cybernetic eyes. I want cybernetic eyes. We'll, we'll get you hooked up. Ian, with I got a lot of pictures from your dad from these comic book <sighs> conventions. He's a big and, Trekkie. And there were none of them with hot Star Trek girls in them, but there were a lot of hot everything else girls. So I'm just your telling you. Your dad's got a shirt that says, Star Butts. <laughs> <laughs> so what else came out? In quarter four. Did anything else, any other significant things happen? I think one little teeny tiny thing did happen, and that would be The Force Awakening. Star Wars came out a couple weeks ago. I think we made a little trip out to see it at midnight. Had yeah. a good time with it, We did I think. have a good time. Now that one, as opposed to maybe like Age of Ultron, was... It lived up to the hype. It lived up to our expect expectations, and we had a great time. And we were all um, encouraged to see it again because we liked it so much. Right. I'd still like to go back and see it in 3D. It seems like I don't see many movies in 3D, Come but on. this. Do you see a lot of movies in 3D, Paul? No, on purpose, because they're never very good. Well, it might be fun to go and see it. In I 3D. saw it in 3D. Yeah. Was it yeah. fun? It was actually, there were a couple moments. There was one in particular where a Star Destroyer is pointed straight at the camera. And I didn't realize it when we saw it the first time in 2D. But the second time, it fucking looks like that Star Destroyer is hovering over the audience. Yeah. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. <laughs> but like, those moments are so few and far between. It doesn't make up for the fact that it completely dims the picture because you're looking at it through those like kind of tinted lenses. Yeah. And it, it just no matter what, that's never going to be an optimal viewing experience. Not to mention you have to pay extra for it. I cannot wait until the day they just make 3D go away, which will probably happen eventually, although prices won't go down. They'll stay raised. But hopefully at least 3D will go away. Because who do you talk to that's like, fucking love 3D, I won't even see a movie if it's not in 3D. Like, nobody says that. No. Because we don't talk to the people that say that. You know what, fuck those people. 
they're the ones that are ruining the experience for the rest of us. Those people are the lowest common denominator. The 3D. Do they listen to this fans? show? No. I don't think they do. No, we don't, we, we, what doesn't we're, matter because we're a higher common we, we have insulted if you like things, if you came on this show, if you like 3D. Fuck you. We are hashtag McSauce. <laughs> we, we appeal to the highest common denominator. Oh, we're super highbrow humor. So, anyway, The Force Awakens was a great way to cap the year. Um, it was far and away my favorite thing this year. Uh, you guys agree with that? That was my favorite movie this year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was good. It was pretty good. I've seen it three times already. I feel like I like it more each time I see it. I'm, I'm less critical each time I see it. I feel that way too. You know what? Let everyone enjoy it. I'm just gonna go. I'm gonna enjoy it. I'm not gonna shit on the you know backward science of J.J. Abrams, Star Trek universe, whatever. That's not up to me. Let's just enjoy it. Let's just enjoy it. Paul, you said that you wanted this to be less than two hours. Um, Guess looks, what? Looks like you got your Christmas wish because you made it like what five minutes? Yeah, about four minutes. Um, by the time we tack on the intro music. The outro music and the bumper, we're going to be at 2.05. And and I think we're going to cut out tonight. We were going to talk about our our comics of the year and everything like that, but we can save that for another episode because you, the listener, I know you're growing tired and weary after two long, arduous hours of hearing us drone on and on about the year that was 2015. I think that'll do it for 2015. We had a great 2015. Thank you to all the listeners this year, all the old listeners, all the new listeners, everyone that supports us, no matter from whence you've supported us. We're going to keep going. We're going to have an even better 2016, so keep listening. My name is Paul McGinty. Ian Sharpley. Matt Casale. We'll see you next time. Best TV series of the year. Season 2 of Fargo surpassed everything I've fucking watched since season 4 of Dexter. This shit was fucking good. When was season 4 of Dexter? Oh, fuck my god. That, that was, was like the seven tr- years ago. It was a Trinity killer with John Lithgow. Probably the best season of TV that I watched as well. Uh, this came really close to it. Yeah. As, um, a, as a serial killer guy, like I love reading about serial killers. Like if I'm flipping through channels, which isn't very often, but if I am and I see, like, a documentary about a serial killer, I fucking stop and I watch it. But 
the idea of like rival serial killers sounds so bad to me. Like, it sounds terrible. It's, well, not, it's not the that wasn't even the first time that they did rival serial killers. Right, and, and Trinity isn't rival serial killers. It's he's an how old is this cold guy case that keeping his life together. Yeah, he, and and he was a cold case that Dexter stumbled upon and found this guy and then wanted to see like you said how he kept his life together what were some of the clues that he could use to help him in his life and Uh, as far as dexter and fargo go i think you can watch season two of fargo by itself and get everything you need out of it it is one complete season series even but dexter to get the full impact of season four you need to watch the first three seasons to get the emotional punch to get you know the heartache you need to see the first three seasons but this year uh bprd bureau of paranormal research and defense hellboy comic always good excellent stuff this year tv fargo far and away the best thing i've seen and movies force awakens easy so so paul's gonna give his best of this year then we're out yeah but we're i'm not that's it we're done. Uh, no, yeah, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give a quick one. Uh, comic books, Southern Bastards. Don't worry. Southern Bastards really liked it. Image Comics. Uh, Jason Aaron writing that. Uh, TV. I liked Fargo a lot. Um, probably my second favorite thing. Mr. Robot from USA Network. Sorry. Uh, sort of like Cyber Dexter, if you will. Um, and and films. Um, Force Awakens. Great. My favorite film. Uh, but a close second was Ex Machina. If you want to see the prequel of Poe Dameron and General Hux, check out uh, Ex Machina because they go toe-to-toe in that one. Matt? Uh, my favorite comic book uh, is the new series um, Bloodshot Reborn. I think it's fantastic. Written by Jeff Lemire. And I forget who does the artwork, but whoever does, does a bang-up job. It's really good. Um, shows uh, not being a big TV you hate watcher. Television. Next. No, no, no. I, I did watch. Uh, I finished a, a show, two seasons worth of a show called The Killing, which was really, really good. Um, kind of started to lose its way there toward the end of the second season, I think, because it was like too much, like too many twists and turns to the point where it was sort of becoming dumb. But uh, up until maybe like halfway through the second season it was fucking spot on being that that's an older show i want to give a shout out to my new favorite new show this year which is f is for family uh the bill burr inspired animated comedy on netflix i'm only four episodes in but oh my goodness do i like it it's so good it's about a family like in 1973 so it's like playing up all those like 70s like things that are just hilarious uh, and then movies would be The Force Awakens with a special shout out to Creed. Creed was. Did you go see it? I did. Out now. Creed was great. Um, Michael B. Jordan maybe wasn't the guy that should have played Johnny Storm, but he was definitely the guy that should have played Creed. He was fantastic, as was Sylvester Stallone. And that is the end of this episode.